spirit of total transparency here, this has not been a week for plans. Here we record on Thursday, and I think before we even get to the, I don't know what to call it, real news, semi-news, whatever it is, it involves Brent Pry possibly leaving and the third coordinator Penn State has being the third to leave Penn State since the regular season ended. But I was out of town for unexpected reasons. We come back, we were going to do a podcast, then couldn't do it Wednesday, all right, and just no plans have worked out whatsoever. So yeah. we have a rundown, as we always do, that we share, prepare, and put together before we step on the podcast. But sticking with the theme of the week, I would like, I'm not going to look at my rundown and just see where this conversation goes and have a unstructured pod. What do you think? Sounds great. We just set it on fire, except it's on my laptop, and if you do that, we're going to have a problem. But uh... Well, okay, how about a compromise? Okay. We will go back to the rundown. Because plans have been terrible this week. Plans have if, been awful if the last two weeks. We yeah. really go off the rails here and need to remind ourselves of what we have. And I'll tell you, as far as I can recall, because again, I'm not looking, we have recruiting, Brent Pry to talk about, uh, more recruiting, and then mailbag. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, all right, here I am, putting your rundown down. And <coughs> let's go. Okay. What you got? Developing news story, which is probably going to be outdated by the time we go. Brent Pry, uh, one of the lead candidates is what we can say for at uni- Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette, whatever they want to be called these days. And, and it's certainly a story that, that we're working on. We, we, like we said, we meant to record on Thursday morning, and then all of a sudden that blew up and was just like, hey, whatever, guys. Um, but you know, as, as we're recording right now, uh, Brent Pry, a candidate, but certainly not – uh, done. He's actually out recruiting, and as we speak and as we record, he's at Harrisburg High right now. They just offered Andre White a 2019 linebacker, and of course, the Shaquan Anderson Butts and Micah Parsons are also there too. Um, so, still out recruiting, recruiting for Penn State. I, I don't think there's much to say about it at this point. Uh, if he does leave, I mean, do do you turn to Tim Banks? I think that's the guy that that obviously you know gets the look as the offense, the assistant defensive coordinator. Well, so long as Brent Pry is still here, I want to I want to talk about and focus on, on him for a minute because you know naturally if he goes, then we'll move on and say okay, who do they look at? And I think Tim Banks is the logical name. But back to Brent for a minute because he's he's been here, of course, as long as the Franklin staff has been. The last two years as the full time defensive coordinator calling the plays. This has been his unit. And, you know, you look at the points per game, they were number seven in the country this year, allowing just 15 and a half. A year ago, that's inflated, but you had injuries, different opponents. But by advanced metrics, this was a top 15 defense in each of the past two years. And Penn State fans, I think, outside of the fact that you have 10 wins from the past two seasons, are going to go back to the Ohio State Michigan State games. It's the ones that kind of got away. Right. It's only a little bit natural. How many times have you heard, losing sucks more than winning's great? So... But I think he's almost underrated in this sense where, of course, his loss would be big because he would be, as I said at the outset, the third of three coordinators to go. And we haven't even truly gotten to the offseason yet. This is just that period between postseason and the end of the regular season. So that would be a huge loss. He's close with James. He does an excellent job. He's a good recruiter. And there are a lot of different dynamics at play with this job because he's got family down there. He was at Louisiana Lafayette for five years as a D coordinator. And this is would be his first head coaching job, so I don't think there's any blame or or you know strong stance you could take one way or the other unless you are him and involved directly with the situation. Yeah, the pool is there. I mean, it, it, it's not a great job in the sense you know coming off probation and and Mark Hudspeth was there, who's a, who's a pretty good coach, who's now on Joe Moorhead's staff at Mississippi State. But I mean, it's uh, it's certainly. It certainly has the factors that would appeal to him, I would think. So if he wants to be a head coach, I think that's you know that's the spot. Glad you said Joe. You know who Mississippi State would meet in week three? Who's that, Andrew? 
We'll just tell them. Clearly, clearly you know now. You ruined the whole thing <laughs> with would, your tone. It would of, be Louisiana. It would be the, the coordinator. Lafayette. Board. Louisiana Lafayette. Sorry. You are it's trying not to Louisiana be, from the water boy. Well, yes, but obviously your kind of apprehension here with saying Louisiana Lafayette is that the fans down there are trying to rename and relabel and rebrand themselves. Yes. Um, they do not listen to the podcast. So we could call them U-L-L-L-L if we so choose instead of U-L-L or Louisiana Lafayette or just Louisiana. All the L's. Yes. I would say... They can go in for the rebranding once they have a new coach and or become relevant because when you look at the program as it's currently constituted, it is a bit of a mess. Yeah. So that, you know, I said there's no strong stance you could take. It would be a big opportunity, presumably more pay, which right now I think is the complications. But, uh, you know, in terms of a working environment uh, and the tools with which he'd have to coach and, and the resources and the quality of player, obviously a downgrade in that sense. Right. And, and the thing about that is if you're talking about uh, – Building a potential staff, sure. Joe Moorhead took Charles Huff, and he offered some some other guys on the staff. Uh, going to Mississippi State is a different call. I mean, oh my god! If yeah. you're a if you're a position coach at Penn State right now, a, a coordinator spot at Louisiana Lafayette isn't going to be much of an upgrade. So he's got to find a new staff. He's got to put some guys together, and of course, he knows a lot of people. He's been all over the place, and he you know he's worked. Although he's worked with Frank in the last seven years, uh, he's he's been a guy that's been well respected around. So um, I think that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that it's the best fit, but if he wants to be a head coach, and, and they pay surprisingly well. I think you and I were both surprised. Mark yes. Hudspeth made $1.1 million this year as a base salary. Um, you know, they, they've done some things to sort of improve the, the situation there, but still at the end of the day, I mean, that's a, that's a tough call on my end. I think it is, and it was funny, again, talk about plans. Like, I was in the middle of a Facebook Live, got this very question of, oh, would Brent probably leave? And I'm like, you know what? If I'm him, and again, it's a, it's a highly personal decision, you know, forget all the, the professional factors that obviously are involved, and it's a, it's a business move, that I would wait. Could you think about where his stock could be in a year to three? Like, is this the highest it would be right now? For Joe Moorhead, I think clearly that answer was yes. You know, his name got out there last year with the Big Ten Championship. But Saquon Barkley's going, you're going to have to, you know, rebuild in essence. And, and people know who you are and you've been highly successful. So him going to Mississippi State was a no-brainer. You know, it didn't seem like a fit, but I think that's a big reason why he went. Brent Pry has been in the conversations now more this year than he was a year ago. And while the talent level is going, the experience, I should say, is going to dip, they're getting better recruiting classes coming in for for him to mold. So in a year or two, you could get back to a top 15 defense, presuming you're not going to have one next year, we think it's a, a safe assumption. And at that point, with more money and more credibility to his name, he might be able to get a better opportunity than right now, where you're looking at Louisiana Lafayette going, eh. Yeah, it's possible. But he's also losing a bunch of guys off that defense. He's losing Cabinda and Brandon Smith, a linebacker, um, Marcus Allen up the middle, Troy Apke. So he's going to have to replace a lot of people. So I think there's probably there's the expectation that Penn State is going to take a step back on defensively next year. Right. And I'm probably like will. Two yeah. or three years. Two or three down years down the road, that could be a different story. So I think I'm, I'm absolutely on board with that. Uh, does he want to be a coordinator? I'm sure he's well compensated as, a, as Penn State's defensive coordinator. But, you know, it's uh, – Well, that's the other big thing here too. Like if I'm him, this is just the perfect – timing and, and move from a leverage standpoint on Penn State to get more money. Now, they had all received pay raises, I think, you know, a year or two ago, right? Yeah. Okay. So since then, they've lost two coordinators, you know, again, someone who's very close to James, and this is a legitimate head coaching opportunity. This was not every major college coach, you know, piquing Tennessee's interest and using them for a little while to get a raise at their own school. And that, was, that was fun, though. Yeah, good time. Yeah. Um, you know, professional prostitution. It's, it's, it's all right. So, but this, though... It, in the same vein of that, you know, because of the history, I think, and his connections down there on a couple of different levels is a legitimate threat for Penn State where you're really 
painted into a corner, and you just have to give him the raise that he wants. And that's how we felt about Georgia Southern when they offered him a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he, obviously his connections down there. He, he, I think he spent some time there as well. Um, so, so it makes sense from that standpoint. I, you know, is he ready to jump? I think it comes down to the salary. I think he can leverage, you know, what he's done in the last two years because I think he certainly deserves to be, you know, one of the higher paid coordinators in the Big Ten. But uh, it's it's going to be a, a question that only he can only answer. And and to be honest with you, by the time this airs, this may be irrelevant. So we may have just spent uh, eight minutes talking about nothing. So yes, very good. So let's switch to something else. There's no rundown here, um, but recruiting is generally where we go after this point. A lot of official visits came in. And there's still some targets that are up in the air, and I think things have changed as of late. 17 official visitors over the weekend for Penn State. We're a little late on this. Of course, uh, we mentioned our plans got kind of messed up. But three uncommitted guys, uh, obviously Micah Parsons, Tyreek Smith, Rasheed Walker, who I'm sure you've all been following along with over the, the, the last couple of days. Um, so big weekend. You know, you get these guys around the commits. You never know what can happen. Of course, it's it, it's a fairly structured weekend. We'll get to that later in the podcast in terms of uh, itinerary because it was one of our good mailbag questions or, this week. Or we might not. Or we might not. Yeah, I'm not even yeah. looking at the thing right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think you're, you're coming out of it feeling good as you always do about official visitors. Um, you know, I, the guy that I turn to right away is Micah Parsons. Obviously, he's going to announce uh, in less than a week, December 20th, 9.45 a.m., um, you know, at Harrisburg High School, which we'll be covering uh, with 24-7 Sports on December signing day. Um, Are you going to be there? I'm not going to be there. Um, it's a three hours in a car on signing day. is not really something uh, that's probably you know the best use of my time that day. Well, but, I, I uh, would agree. That's why I was surprised. But Ed, who's going to be there? Ed O'Brien, of course, uh, okay. was with Scout. He's now with us running Panther 24-7, does a fantastic job down in the Harrisburg area. Everybody knows him as Joe Cleasy. Uh, he's done great things down there for years. He, he will be there. So that, that'll be one to watch at, at 945. But, you know, I'm coming away. He, he, he's going to Georgia this weekend. Parsons, not, not Ed. Thank God. Um, but uh, he, he's he's coming to or going to Georgia this weekend. He's going to make a decision next Wednesday. S- supposedly has already filmed his uh, commitment video with, I think, five different endings or something like that. So that'll be fun to piece together. Um, but I like Penn State right now. I mean, I, I've, I've said that for a while. Um, you know, Penn State has some plans for him to play him at linebacker. He can be a D-end eventually. He's just a uber-athletic guy who can get on the field right away just because of how talented he is and how talented he could be. I mean, he's he's still got potential to to grow into one of to college. Yeah, and I, I don't know whether he knows that right now or not. I think he's heard how good he is right now, and he can go with that. But, I mean, outside of that box, how good this kid could be is is ridiculous. And if he you know stays on course and applies himself and does all that kind of stuff and takes care of business there, I mean, this is a, this is a guy that can be up at the, near the top of the NFL draft in a couple of years. Going back away from that, I still like where Penn State stands. My crystal ball's been there pretty much for the duration. Had some things come back around, um, you know, with Ohio State, and that was crazy. I don't see them in the mix anymore. But I just don't see him going very far away from home. Sure, you don't like anywhere, you don't like a guy going anywhere like Georgia the week before signing day. But at the same time, I mean, Penn State's done a great job, I think, getting him back on track. I mean, this was a recruitment that was all over the place at times. I think in the last couple of months, it's settled down, and, and I think that's a good sign for Penn State. Highly different situations here, but there's one common theme there in Georgia where, let's say, worst-case scenario for Penn State, he hops away and says, you know what, Uh, that final ending of the five that I filmed, I am going to be a Bulldog. There's another commit, of course, who once decommitted former five-star that would be down at Georgia. Uh, Not to say that it would necessarily develop any bad blood. I think everyone understands the business that it is, but Georgia nabbing two 
former five-star Penn State commits and then keeping them would be some kind of development. Any any ramifications from that? Not, I mean, perhaps between the staffs, if that would ever occur, or just in the bigger picture, that that kind of event, you know, what would the ripple effects be? I, I don't think we're going to see an anchorman-type rumble between the staffs. <laughs> but, I mean, George, Damn it. George is on fire right now, um, and, and that's certainly expected. They're going to close very strong, even that if it's not with Michael Parsons. I think I think even the Georgia people, you know, see that as a long shot. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, that, well, would, that, would be, that would be saying something for Georgia. I mean, it, it would be saying something for Georgia. It would also be saying something, you know, Penn State has closed fine over the last couple of years. I don't know that categorize them as a as you know, strong knock it out of the park closers. And last year they got they got Lamont Wade, they got KJ Hamler, uh, they got Tariq Castro Fields on signing day. So did very well in that regard. But but at the same time, when you're talking about national prospects and and when we talk about that, we talk about the All Star games. You know where uh, the Under Armour game where Tyreek Smith and Jason Owe are going to announce. You know I, I haven't seen Penn State make that big step. You know in the last month, which. It's kind of fascinating now because with with signing day being in December, Penn State's going to sign 19 of 20 guys in their class right now. Sort of takes a little bit of that drama away, but it also gives you a little bit more focus in January. So um, it, it, it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Parsons plans on signing and, and I believe enrolling in January as well. I think that's still the case, but as we talked about with Brent Private, 24 hours from now, that could be irrelevant right. um, with, with Parsons' recruitment. But, Real quick, uh, 19 out of 20, explain the, the one that's missing. Shaquan Anderson-Butts uh, is going to sign in February. He was not on campus for the official visit, and this was actually a mailbag question on that once famed uh, schedule that we had laid out. Um, he was taking his ACT. There's there's obviously been great issues, and we've talked about it before, academic things that have, have held him back. He's got to get closer to getting qualified. With the new rules, um, you know, Penn State, if you sign a guy and he doesn't qualify, it still counts as that 25 initial counter, which has changed some things. So you'll see some guys that are bigger academic risks, and that's not just a Penn State, uh, you know, playing their recruitment out to February or just not signing in mm-hmm. December. So n- not not saying he's not going to end up signing with Penn State. And he told us uh, actually earlier today that he was going to sign in February. He was, you know, he was taking his, S- or excuse me, his ACT over the weekend. So it kind of uh, works itself out in the end. So um, that, that's I don't see that as a big deal. So Penn okay. State, I think, set to sign 19 of 20 guys. Juice Scruggs was a guy that was rumored not to be signing. This has been a guy that's been completely detached from the process from the start. So um, not really surprised that he didn't know that when he won a state championship last week and then he was asked and he really wasn't sure. But he's going to sign with Penn State on December 20th. So um, I think for, for a class like this that's where most guys have been in the boat for a long time, it's not going to change a ton of things. It's going to lock these guys down, cause them uh, you know six weeks less of worry. You know, so so that's a good thing. Um, in terms of getting back on the track, you still got guys like Tyreek Smith who visited this week, uh, Rasheed Walker who's going to visit Virginia Tech this weekend and is going to you know stretch it out to uh, to February as well. I think. Um, well, let's stick yeah, with the defensive should... ends first because you mentioned okay. Jason Owe and and you're going to you know be down for the Under Armour game as I understand it, not there for the official announcement, right? But. He's a guy, you know, Parsons is safely presumed to be on board, and we'll know soonest with him. Tyreek Smith and Jason Owe will be January 4th. Two different situations, but but Owe's, in my mind, is a little bit more interesting because of the late pursuits by the likes of Michigan and some other programs, just how his recruitment picked up so late. And the fact that you've mentioned that he's he's a little bit more impressionable. Yeah. But he has he defined very clearly what he wants, not only just from an academic perspective, but you know, on the football field. So, so where do things stand with him and then Tyree? I think you, you nailed it. He has defined what he wants and, and he's, and he's, 
brought Michigan into the picture, they came in late. Penn State's been in the picture, you know, really from the start, you know, once he got past the Boston College and the Rutgers and all that stuff, when he started moving to the bigger programs with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame, I think he's kind of focused on what he's wanted. Um, Ohio State was high for a while, but it was one of those things where Jason Owe is an impressionable guy. Um, you know, he's he's not really familiar with the process. His coach has been uh, very uh, helpful in in the sense of of trying to guide him in, into what's going on. And his coach is also a former college teammate at James Franklin, so that oh, helps. that'll help. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, it, I think it's one of those situations where even we felt, uh, you know, even when we felt Ohio State led during the fall. It was one of those things where you always felt it could come back around just based on the type of kid he is, based on what he's looking for. You know, Ohio State and Penn State, there's a lot of similarities there. Even a lot of our listeners won't want to admit it. There's a lot of similarities there. But Penn State closer to home. Penn State, uh, Wait, why is that? Their academic pro- – why is it closer to home? He lives in Jersey. No, no. no. Stop. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was exactly what I wanted to know. Nailed. I will take my leave. Nailed it. Why, um, you know, What's the impression that, that – are you talking about the boards? I'm talking about – um, why wouldn't Penn State want to draw a comparison to Ohio State? I feel like everyone in the country you know, outside of Alabama. There are a lot of our listeners that you know don't believe the programs are run the same way, and they kind of are. So, I mean, okay. talking academics, talking and, – and Ohio State's – you know, they've brought in more academic questions and whatnot than, than Penn State has in the past, but Penn State brings them in as well. So Yes, we just talked about You know, Ohio State is – a guy that, or excuse me, Ohio State is a program. It's more than a guy. It's a man that you want to emulate in the sense that that's how you get to win. I mean, they've okay. won for so long, but you know, not everybody sees it that way. Jason Owe is looking at Larry Johnson and Sean Spencer, which whether you know, once again, whether you like to put them on parallels or not, are, are kind of similar guys, similar position coaches. Um, so I, I think it's just one of those things where. Things were set up to come back around to Penn State, and I think there's, there's more support closer to home. The coach is there. Um, the coach obviously likes Penn State um, and hosted James Franklin and Sean Spencer you know, earlier this week. So I think it was just one of those things where you felt like it could come back around at the end. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Smith, we go the other direction. I mean, he's, he's an Ohio, not native, but he's an Ohio guy in Cleveland. You know, Ohio State is always going to be there, and Penn State felt very good for a good reason for, for, for a long time with him. Um, I started moving away from Penn State this week. You know, James Franklin and, and his staff were supposed to go in on Tuesday. That trip did not happen. It's been postponed, and, you know, we'll see if that actually has, you know, come to fruition by the time this is this is published. But that's obviously not a good sign. I mean, he's right. just coming off of an official visit. Maybe he needs some time to clear his head, some time to think. But uh, it, it's certainly one that, that, that raises some eyebrows. Um, so is it is it a situation where Tyreek Smith and Jason Owe just kind of flipped their situations? That's entirely possible. I mean, it's it, it's it's how things happen sometimes. I still think Penn State's in a good good position to land two of those three guys, including Parsons with with, with Smith and uh, Owe. So I think that they'll be in a good spot. It's just going to be a grind to get there because it's another two weeks before these guys announce, and you know that's or excuse me, three weeks before these guys announce, and that's a long time in recruiting. Yes. Now the dead period's going to come in. The quiet period's going to you know keep these coaches out of their homes. It's going to keep them from visiting campus. But at the same time, I mean, there's going to be constant contact, uh, excuse me, constant contact. A dead period does not mean you can't talk to a kid. I think a lot of people are sort of, that's sort of misleading that, that, that title. So it's going to be all the way up until January 4th. These guys are going to go after it. And then what's interesting is, you know, the signing day is on the 20th. 
I don't think these guys can sign and keep it a secret, you know, where you have, uh, you know, say, say one of these guys signs for Penn State. Well, I think that word's going to get out, uh, you know, if they sign on the 20th or the 22nd, the word's going to get out by the 23rd, 25th, something like that. So, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a crazy situation when you think about it. And because of that, if they don't sign on the 20th, then that opens up their entire January. I mean, Penn State still has an in-home visit with Tyreek Smith. So even if he commits to Ohio State on January 4th, they're going to go in in January and try and get that in-home visit. So it sets up for a little bit more drama. Um, You know, that's that's why I kind of like the early signing period, but you're kind of pigeonholing guys in. So it, it, it certainly can go both ways, and we'll see that in January. Okay. Now, uh, before I interrupted you minutes ago, I think we were talking Rasheed Walker. We were talking Rasheed Walker, another good visit for Penn State, um, another guy that's going to stretch it out. I mean, I think uh, you look a little further down the board, and, and James Franklin, I think he's really set his sights on these def- defensive linemen, and then it's everybody else, and and because of the scholarship numbers being what they are, everybody else is not a long list. Everybody else is Rasheed Walker and Solomon Enos for the most part, even though the, you know the, there was a safety spot that opened up with Hashim Young, so... Um, Rashid Walker is a guy that, that, that I'm looking at where Penn state is sitting in a good position right now, but you know, he's going to go the distance, go to February, um, Virginia tech this weekend, Ohio state in January, he might visit Maryland. He's not going to Maryland. Um, but, uh, it, it's one of those situations where that's great. The Penn state got him on campus right now. They'd love to get him to sign this the next week, I'm sure. But at the same time, you're going to have to, to weather that storm and come back around in January. So I think that's, uh, probably, probably an interesting recruitment right there. And of course, Ohio state has done well in those all-star games that we talked about before. So, yep. you know, are they going to fill up those spots that they have earmarked for maybe like a guy like Walker and surprise somebody and get another offensive tackle? It's very possible. So um, should, should make for a fun six weeks. Uh, Solomon Enos, I'm not sure where that stands right now, but I still like Penn State if if they have the room to take him. Now he's um, had multiple visitors. Josh Gaddis went to see him. Ricky Roddy's Ricky Roddy was the just country. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, um, you know, that says something, I think, I think the door is open for Solomon Enos, and I think you know if that's the case. From what I understand, he's he's a guy that's going to commit, or excuse me, it's going to sign without committing anywhere. That's a new one. I mean, with this early signing period, he's going to sign in December. He's going to sign in February. We don't know. Wants to visit uh, Arizona State, I believe. Still, I think he still has an official to uh, Southern Cal this weekend, or it was last weekend. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it's going to cause some drama down the stretch. But uh, I think Penn State's a little bit more comfortable with their numbers. Of course, uh, since we were last on, Antoine Reed, uh, offensive lineman, uh, Penn State parted ways with him. Not sure where where he will end up. Of course, you got guys like Dorian Hardy and Ashim Young who have worked their way out of the class one way or another. So yep. numbers a little bit safer right now, but uh, all in on those defensive linemen. Then beyond them, uh, Walker and Enos are the guys that you focus on. Enos visiting Arizona State is interesting for a number of different reasons, um, not the least of which is they're going with an entirely new structure, and we don't have to get into the you know ins and outs of Sun Devils football now as it's evolving, but it's very funny to see their head coach now, for me at least, when you flip on ESPN, and there is Herm Edwards, still NFL analyst. Uh, from a recruiting perspective, though, I think your inside obviously would be most valuable here. It just fascinates me. You know, I, I admire the innovation. You know, that's a program that has not naturally been relevant in years and years and years. And you got to do something different. I'm not sure if their particular innovation is what you want to do. But when you got a guy, you know, the whole release was just like corporate nonsense and blah. Right. But I think the essence of it was you've got a head coach who's effectively like a CEO, not as much hands on. And then you've got your coordinators who are really doing, you know, what they do, but having a little bit higher role within this power structure. Right. From a recruiting perspective, I mean, it, to me, I think it would work 
if, if Herm Edwards is essentially free to, you know, lead the team and simply go out and recruit, and then a lot of the other duties, you know, with respect to game planning and everything else, you know, that a head coach might involve himself in truly fall to the coordinators. Is that something that can work the way they've structured it? Is there a, a higher risk and higher reward, or is there just a really much lower floor? It is high risk, high reward. You better have some damn good coordinators because, uh, I mean... Strictly that's recruiting. A, yeah, that, I mean, even in recruiting. I mean, these are the guys... It's going to be fairly apparent pretty quickly whether Herm Edwards is a is a head coach, an active recruiter, or he's just a figurehead. So I, I don't know um, how that's going to play out given the initial things of what we saw and the whole Devil's Digest thing where, you know. <laughs> Awful. Uh, yeah. In the first place without knowing what your mascot is. You know what he is, though, excellent, I, I would presume for, is, is selling the parents. Yeah. Like, it's always the, you know, hand your kids over to here and we'll, you know, help develop them, do all these things and make them a better person. And, you know, all that, you know, the truth of it aside, right. you know, that's, that's what you're trying to sell them on. Right. And I think he would be instantly – among the best coaches at doing that and, and gaining that trust so quickly because of the person he's been for so long. I've watched Herm at the Under Armour game because he's been a guest coach for the Under Armour game right. several times. And and he's down there and he, he does work with the guys. He does coach them up. Um, and he was much better than Steve Mariucci, who you know was on the other sideline. But, I mean, you, you saw there was some sort of fire there. But at the same time, he's, he's schmoozing everyone. I mean, he's all over the place. He's talking to parents. He's talking to kids. Um, so, so it was like a CEO type look. And, and I don't know if that's the way he's coached, you know, forever. But, you know, he, he was fairly engaged. But at the same time, he was fairly political and making his way around the field. So, you know, I think that can work. The, the trick is, and, it, and I know it's, it's funny to say this, but getting kids to campus. I don't think he's going to be a ruthless recruiter. I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets on the road and you know is seen everywhere. Social media. I, yeah, I think you, you're going to have guys that have to come to him. Luckily, he's at Arizona State. I'm, they've got a few selling points there, yeah. um, but uh, especially for teenage recruits. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it's going to be – I think it can be really, really good. I think it has the potential to be really, really good, but I also think it could fall flat on its face, and, and, and we might be heading there. You know what speaks to me about that too, and and her, you know, again, it's half preacher, half teacher. I think is the way that that's going to be sold. So Nailed it's, it. Yeah, I like that. Well, yeah, my best work always comes late in a Thursday while we have no plans. Um, no, but I, I think for him, what that could set up too down the road is you look at him. He's been a TV analyst for so long. Last was in the NFL, I think, oh five or six. And um, for coaches who retire but want to return in a capacity that's a little bit. You know, less demanding. We are not right now as Penn State's coaches are on the road. Their season ends late November. I don't think they've seen their families for more than a day where they're going after all the current commits, securing things with them, and then going after prospects who they're looking to add. You know, he might not have to do that necessarily. So if you're like a guy like Philip Fulmer, for example, back as the AD at Tennessee after being fired 10, 11 years ago, if he could set, stand, jump into that setup as a CEO type coach, I mean, why wouldn't you? You're still strictly focused on football. He doesn't have to deal with all the other BS that goes along with being an AD or focused on sports that, you know, truthfully, for a guy who's dedicated his life to the gridiron, doesn't really care about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you're but, right. that, but people will only copy that, and old coaches will step into this setup as, if it's successful in this, you know, first kind of <laughs> yeah, stage. Yeah. Well, they, you better have some damn good assistants lined up because they're going to they're gonna do the heavy lifting, and, you know, Herm's going to get the glory, and we'll, we'll see, you know, how many of those guys will get hired away eventually. Because I don't think that's something, you know, when, when he was in coaching before that, you know, he really had to deal with. And, I mean, it's a meat market right now. There's so many coaches going so many places. Oh, it always is. Yeah, yeah it, it always is. It just seems a little bit absurd this this, this offseason. So, 
Um, so, so we'll see what happens. You know, if you, if you got good coordinators, um, you know, as we mentioned with Brent Pry and Joe Moorhead, if you got good coordinators, people are going to want them, and that's a good sign. Right. Okay. Now I'm thinking about the rundown because we're running out of stuff right now. But the mailbag is at the very end. Um, what we were going to talk a little bit about the transfers because we haven't talked about the guys that uh, left yes. since then. I have some thoughts. You have some thoughts. Oh boy, Alex Barbier, um, no longer on the roster. Andre Robinson, no longer on the roster. Two scholarships there. Um, it's not terribly surprising, although Barbier was a guy that they looked to to compete next year. And, you know, whether or not he plays football again, I think he kind of left that open to interpretation when he left. Um, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, special teams is breaking in a new coordinator. Phil Galliano is going to be the special teams coordinator. Um, and, and you're bringing in a new kicker. I mean, Tyler Davis is gone no matter what. Uh, Jake Pinniger's coming in as a, as a scholarship guy. Carson Landis, you know, did some good things as a redshirt freshman or excuse me, as a freshman walk on. Uh, Nick D'Angelis, I believe, transferred in. Um, is sort of a similar t- story to Tyler Davis in terms of a guy that was into his college career, though not a you know not a really big uh, successful football guy. But at the same time, I mean he's got a he's got a pretty good leg. And then a couple of walk-ons, Rafael Checa committed this week from St. John's College in D.C. and John Brosnahan in uh, North Carolina, who's a kicker punter. So they have options, they have competition, but it's going to be different. Being uh, you know as Barbier was probably the favorite to go there, um, it's going to be interesting. And I know you've got some things to say about Barbier transfer to begin with well more on robinson okay but barbier interested me because of his transfer statement so like the news comes out exactly a week ago he's gone you know he's going elsewhere then he releases you know as as you would see from all these commits screenshot of the The notes notes app app, the notes app yet which i did do once and i think about (laughs) uh in the beginning of the season saying like it's been a good one year run so far and uh anyway so there were parts of this that were untraditional, let's say, from most transfer statements like yes. I'm, or, or decommit statements because there are so many similarities between the two. So after the what you would expect, the traditional parts, thank you to Penn State for the opportunity I've decided to transfer, quote, I want to pursue an environment that's positive, uplifting, and one where I'm influenced in good ways. Football is an amazing sport, but it's temporary. I would like to be at a school that I know will allow me and influence me in ways that will mold me into the man and Christian that I want to be. Aside from that, I want to pursue a business degree. Um, and then he says he doesn't know whether he wants to play football again. So, you know, obviously his faith is something that's very important to Alex. And, and I think that will be probably a school that he, he goes to next. If I had to guess, I don't know. But the the positive environment for a team that was so close, and this isn't to say all, oh, you know, 100 plus players are always going to be going in the same direction. They're not. We want to talk about family. Families fight. Like, and that's what they you know pretend to be. So the part where it's not a positive uplifting, I think those words were care- chosen very carefully. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because I think when you look at the, the teammates he was most closely associated with, the specialists, right? Right. The, the Tyler Davis and Blake Gillikin, you know, two more upstanding guys on the team. Yeah. I think you might be looking too far into that because from what I understand, he's headed to Liberty. Which you know is a very okay. different you know he's yes. Alex you know if you followed him at all he's a he's a southern very very conservative guy very religious guy and you know sort of fits what goes on down at Liberty and I think you know he's he's got some connections down there as well so I think maybe reading a little bit too much into that but at the same time as a backup kicker I mean I'm sure there's negativity I mean there it's one of those things where he couldn't you know couldn't beat out Tyler Davis couldn't get on the field so you know there's there's questions about ability but for the most part from what I understand you know they were expecting to be here next year 
I mean, and, yeah. and he hadn't performed, you know, he had a couple of kicks out of bounds or whatnot, right. hadn't performed, you know, up to the standard that I think a lot of people had hoped he would be. But at the same time, I think it's more of an off the field decision. I think he's going to end up at Liberty. He's going to, whether or not he plays football down there, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where I think he is looking for, you know, a different environment than he found on a big, you know, a really big public college campus. Right. And this isn't to say it's a significant issue. Like I said, it was just intriguing to me. I think, and that certainly could be the case, but if you're someone who is, you know, uh, of that upbringing and of that faith and of that, you know, attitude, I mean, you would know going into Penn State, and this is a state school and not necessarily, you know, leading towards Christian I, th- I think the giveaway there, we've seen him argue with teammates on Twitter about yeah, you know, social issues and things like that. So, I mean, I think is there a split there because of you know his background and his you know his uh, beliefs. viewpoints, beliefs, and all that? I think there is. I mean, you walk into a college locker room, you know, mostly you know African American or whatnot, and it, you know it's going to be very different than what you expect coming from a Southern sort of Baptist type type, type of upbringing. Okay. Yeah. And the other part too is this could, you know, I'm not going to spend much more time on this, a whole rationalization of, you know, if you expected to be handed the job or you hadn't, you know, performed a date of, you know, I, I'm not going to get an opportunity here, but I'm going to instead leave for reasons X, Y, and Z that are unrelated right. where you just, you know, couldn't deal with that fact that there's more competition coming in. Jake Pinnaker, obviously, and, you know, this isn't to say any of those are the case, but there are a variety of different explanations for this and any decision that, you know, a, a guy or, or, or woman of, of that age would make. Um, but it, it was peculiar because, like I said, it was just untraditional statement uh, and the positive and, and you know, right. uh, uplifting word choice were interesting. Yeah, we're speaking of word choice. I meant to say conservative, not Baptist. I'm not sure where I went with that situation. <laughs> I'm I was not, wondering I'm not where complete... your experience as a lifelong Pennsylvanian stemmed from that. I'm not completely sure. But on the field, this is going to change some things because, you know, Barbier, you know, whether or not he would be the kickoff guy next year, and I think that's the thing to keep getting back to. Do you have a kickoff guy and a field goal guy, which I think is James Franklin's preference given, yes. you know, leg fatigue and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. we joke about kickers all the time, but, um, you know, you'd like to, uh, you, you'd like to have one guy for each ideally, I think. And I, you know, I'm hesitant to jump on board with the fatigue reasoning, right? Because they're only ever out there for one or two plays, you know, per quarter. And even then it's the same motion, something you've done hundreds of times in practice. Right. I think perhaps mentally it's a little bit more, but the technique, you know, all, really isn't all that different. Um, You're just going to sit here and bang on kickers. Regardless. No, all the great (laughs) kickers. Kickers are people too. Um, Punters are not. Just kidding. So the – Regardless of his reasoning, though, like his ideal system is to have a kickoff specialist in a, in a place kicker, and that's fine with the way you know college rosters are constituted. Um, you're right; it does change the future picture. I think there's a lot to be learned in the spring and summer. But I said a minute or two ago, I don't want to spend much more time on this. So here ends the Alex Barbier discussion. Andre Robinson. This interests me too for uh, much more on-field reasons than anything we saw in the statement. I tweeted this out because as soon as he transfers, you think like. Okay, you know, you understand to a degree, but here's a guy who not only sat behind Saquon Barkley the last three years, but roomed with him and was as close as he could be. Now, his friend is gone, you know, you don't have much opportunity left on the face, it makes sense. But there's also the sense that he averaged better than six yards per carry one year and 4.9 the next. Like, he has produced any time he's received the opportunity. And this is not one of those, hey, like, here's the ball in garbage time against a bunch of second and third stringers because they've given up because we're up by 100. Go nuts. Like, he's he's been effective in every role that he served, but he's going elsewhere. And I think we know why. The guy who's behind him. Yeah, Miles Sanders. I mean, he's going to be the guy. Um, Robinson, 
for the, you know, is this the best way to put it? Phased out in the second half of the 2017 oh, season. Pushed I mean, out the door with two hands. Yeah, you're... Because uh, I, I mentioned the tweet. I didn't get to that. Okay. Second half of the season, he saw seven offensive snaps. Yeah. Six of them were kneel downs. Victory cigar. Yes. The human victory cigar, as you possibly put it in a private text that is now public for the world to see. It's, it's been used before. so not that, Who was it? Uh, I don't know. It's been, I, I've seen it several times. But anyway, usually, usually the guys at the end of the bench have, you know, for Carolina or something like that. Right. So. But he had seen, you know, more than 40 in the first half of the season. You go, okay, well, they're playing different opponents. Miles Sanders ate up 90% of all backup running back snaps, garbage time or not, in the second half of the season. And there was plenty of garbage time against Rutgers, Nebraska, and Maryland. So this was, he's our future. Our job now when Saquon's not in the field is to give him every opportunity to be as good as he can for next season. Andre, you are not a part of that picture because we see him as a far better option. I think he is a better running back. But, you know, it was definitely a nudge and then just a two-handed push in my mind out the door because, you know, even Mark Allen, you know, Maryland native, like you should see some snaps in that that, um, regular season finale. But for Andre Robinson just to be sitting there with his hands in his lap, in the final game of the year, nothing's at stake. You're up by 40, then 50, then more than 60. Mm-hmm. Like, give the guy the ball. Yeah, and it will it it will make you you know go the other way very quickly in that situation. And you know it, it, whether that's what the intention was or not. I mean, this is a guy that probably didn't enjoy football by the end of his career. So um, I, I think it's it, it's one thing where you know Robinson's a little bit different of a back, and I could see them. You know, I could see situations where he would be useful next year than the sure Sanders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, that that running back room is going to have a completely different look next year. I mean, yeah. Charles Huff is gone. Uh, Mark Dupuis is is handling handling the situation there, and we expect the tenth coach uh, when he's hired in in January to be a running backs coach. So new coach Saquon's gone, Andre's gone, Johnny Thomas, uh, you know, is a, a well, fifth year Brown, guy. I think is the name I would go to next. Yeah, well, I'm saying it in terms of being gone. I mean, oh, John, okay. sorry, Johnny sorry. Thomas yeah, um, yeah. has been a fifth year guy who hasn't hasn't really done anything. So you're looking at Miles Sanders. Sanders, uh, Mark Allen, who can be a captain next year, um, you know, Journey Brown and Ricky Slate. So uh, still a ton of talent in that room, but very different, uh, different approach, different outlook. And, you know, we'll see with Ricky Ronnie's offense how much that changes. Right. Could they rotate more backs? I don't, I don't think Miles is going to shoulder the load that Saquon did. Exactly 80% of snaps. Uh, he played this year offensively for uh, for Penn State. Yeah, I mean around the same number he did a year ago. But. I think we're going to see something similar to to what we did. You know what we expected last year, where you know some guys got some more snaps early on, and you know Saquon kind of took over. So I could see Miles Sanders doing that. Uh, I you know I think he's he's impressed over the last half of the season, no doubt about it. When he gets the yes. ball, there seemed to be a little bit more spark, a little bit more confidence. He's holding on to the football. Balance. He's running inside as well, which I don't think many people expecting expected him to do t- uh, too often. So. Um, um, I think it'll be fun to watch. I think Miles Sanders is phenomenally talented back, and you know, if if the offense and I say that uh, if the offensive line is going to be better, when I say that with uh, you know the expectation that we had again last year, mm-hmm. um, not but, the confidence, but a curling, knowing the, smile that you have right now. <laughs> right, right. If that's going to happen, I mean, the drop off will be there, but I don't think it'll be as significant because I think Miles Sanders is is as talented as. You know, any backup in the Big Ten. Right. Again, this season proved if you're going to have a dominant running game, you know, the most important parts are not necessarily the guy with the ball. It's right. the five others who, on every single play, are blocking for and, him. And Trace McSorley, you know, yeah. who, who's going to be there. He's going to, you know, run more next year, maybe a little bit more next year. So that'll that'll be have an impact as well. So. Okay. That's what you expect of Miles Sanders. I have a feeling we're going to talk about Miles Sanders all spring, all summer. 
Uh, what are we going to talk about next? Are we finally at the mailbag? We're at the mailbag. Is this now where we finally... Um, yeah, the rundown's got to come back out. Uh, and I think we've actually answered a couple of these. Shaquan Anderson butts. Why didn't he take his official? Uh, taking the ACT. Yeah, taking the ACT. Biggest surprise committed to Penn State right now. And I took this question, and I don't know if it's what you were getting at, but the guy that surprised the most people by ending up in the class or committing to Penn State, uh, Nana Asidu, uh, offensive tackle. You know, Clemson just won a national championship. Clemson was his crystal ball favorite. He was a guy that, or excuse me, he, yeah, he visited Clemson a few times. Um, it was just one of those things where he came up to Penn State and sort of the tables turned. So up until a week or two before, we really weren't mentioning him as a huge possibility. Um, you know, got on board, uh, stayed committed, stayed perfectly solid throughout the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, that's the guy that I look to as, as the guy that's, um, you know, my biggest surprise um, you know, whether or not he's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, you look to, to contribute early is still something that we, we can talk about much later. Sure. Because he is a project and he's a guy that's going to need some time. Um, even though he looks like he's 43 years old. Um, but well, in terms of being surprised, um, I would go with Nana and, 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 and I think that's pretty, pretty solid guess right there. Okay. Do you have any thoughts on anybody right now? I know you don't. You, you didn't see the rundown, so I don't know that you were uh, completely prepared for this, this no, question. No, and I was kind of enjoying being unprepared. Um, so I don't really want to look anymore. All right. But um, Big Nana, big nickname. Like that's <laughs> I, that's really my thought on him is he's a big, powerful guy. Well, that's, why, that's enjoy, why the people are here for And this. I enjoy saying Big Nana. For that I think kind of you announce. at home should give it a try right Nana. Good question here. Love to hear what happens on an official visit, where to recruit stay, which is the Nittany Lion Inn. Uh, what makes an official compared to an unofficial, you know, with an official visit that can be paid for and now the parents can be paid for as well, which is something that they just changed in the last two years. So that makes a big difference, you know, from kids in, in situations that can't afford to have their, their their parents come up with them. I think that's, you know, that's a great change by the NCAA. But in terms of the itinerary, I mean, it's it's a Friday through Sunday thing. Um, you get in on Friday and there's very various stages of uh, arrival times. Guys are flying in, guys that are driving in. Um, you, you've got receptions. Uh, when they get in, they take them and they do the video shoots. They do the photo shoots. So all this sort of uh, busy work before signing day. When you see those things go up on signing day with the capsules, with their headshots of them in jerseys and everything like that, they take care of that. Then they usher them over to the stadium. They have dinner at the stadium. They have you know presentations there. They put the you know put the faces up on the the screen and, mm -hmm. and play the videos and all that stuff. And then they have their free time, which we won't get into um, obviously for obvious reasons. Um, Saturday, they wake them up. Crack of dawn, uh, 10 o'clock, I believe, is when they get them uh, settled for brunch. And, and they meet with academic people there. They meet with all these different sort of administrative people um, to give them a better sense of what Penn State can get for you. Um, it's a little different at every other school, but for the most part, um, schools like to stick to, you know, you get to the academic people, you get to the strength people, you get to, uh, you know, the, the major people, you know, some people bring in the deans or the presidents or mm -hmm. whatnot. So this is an opportunity for, for parents and whatnot to, uh, sort of mingle with, you know, the people that are going to be responsible for their son's lives. So, um, from there, Penn State had a practice on Saturday, took them over to practice. Um, then you do stuff in the building. You look at the weight room. You talk to the strength coach. Dwight Galt does his thing where you know he gets out there and t lays out the plan for all these guys, sort of a rough plan for the next couple of years. Uh, parents, I think this is a big spot for the parents. The parents talk to the strength coaches. The parents talk to the, you know, a little bit more to the administrative support people, staff. the support staff, and gives them a better glimpse of what they didn't see on a game day, what they didn't see on an unofficial junior day or something like that. So very 
important part for the parents. And then they move on to the panels. They've got um, you know player panels where they talk to um, you know talk to certain guys on the team right now about what it's like to actually on a day to day basis be a Nittany Lion. Uh, parent they they bring in parents for from from current players and uh, and they talk to those parents. So I think that's a it's sort of a person to person thing that that becomes a big deal because you're talking about establishing relationships with other parents where you have the parent, um, you know, the, they have the parent group where they tailgate together, they, they go to games together, they do all that kind of stuff. So it sort of builds the parental bond, which is a big thing for James Franklin and his program. And so. you get all those questions answered that you might not otherwise ask or trust that you were getting in a Right. And the coaches, so the coaches aren't there for some of right. these things. So it's kind of like, Hey, this kind of guy, kind of a jerk, and maybe he'll, he'll answer truthfully. So yeah. I'm not sure who we'd be referencing in that situation. Probably but, you. Yeah, I, I would guess so. <laughs> I would guess so. Um, they took him to the hockey game, which is interesting because there was a basketball game there. there. Was. Um, of course, there there was volleyball, which I'm not sure how the rules would work out given it was an NCAA game. But um, the hockey environment is has quickly developed into one of, if not the best environment outside of football on campus. So. Brought those guys over to Pagula, um, showed them around, did their thing. Uh, of course, I think Saquon was on the ice, which you know got several pictures of that over the weekend, so that was cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're showcasing something outside of football and that can help you. They used to take them to a basketball game. They used to set them behind the bleachers, and you know the, the student section being what it was was fine. But you know there's a lot of empty seats in the Jordan Center, so the hockey game has just given them a different sort of viewpoint on on Penn State's fans, especially their student sections and things like that. It's, it's a better it's, environment, better atmosphere. It's also later in the day. Who's yeah. that day was at four? So I think if you're going to make an exception for anything or add something in, I, I think hockey was the right move. Yeah, absolutely. From there. Dinner eating is so huge on official visits. I mean, you've got guys coming back five pounds more when they, you know, when they leave Sunday than they were when they arrived on Friday. Eating is the common theme across all official visits. It's everybody's favorite part. Um, you know, it, Justin Shorter's dad was posting stuff all weekend. The the petite fillets that they had looked incredible. I mean, I don't know if they sous vide them not or, so or whatnot. Yeah, they were they were they looked pretty great, but. Eating is always something, which Sunday, they, they go to a breakfast at, uh, I believe, the Nittany Lion Inn. Um, they do their thing there where they talk to him, and, and everybody meets with James Franklin before they leave. And then late Sunday is when they get out of there. So that's basically what an official visit is. Um, it's a little bit more in-depth than a junior day or a game or something like that. You can spend time with coaches. You spend time with players. Everybody is hosted by a player. Um, you know, you, you spend time with commits. 14 commits were on campus with three uncommitted guys. It's a pretty good ratio. Um, you know, and, and you get some questions answered by your peers. So just a big in-depth thing. Um, you know, is there a ton to do in state college when you're, you know, trying to get 17, 17 or 18 year old guys in? Not really, but you make the most of it. You do a lot of eating and you do a lot of relationship building. And I think that's the biggest thing to take out of it. Um, when you're talking about an itinerary for an official visit. So I brought this up pretty much whenever I can. Uh, but in March, Sean and I are going to be doing our own pro day, uh, competition. Did you forget? I did not forget. Okay, well, here is my offer. In training. Yeah. Oh, that's a lie. No. no well, you've I'm been running, running, but not you've not been doing 40s or shuttles or bench. Not that you know about. Well, now I'm <laughs> a little less confident. Regardless, I would offer you a trade now, knowing the full rundown of an official visit. If you would host me for an official visit uh, with much the same schedule, and then we don't have to do the pro day that I know you're not looking forward to in March. You can house it anytime you want. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> that that's is, basically that's, it. That's not hosting me. This is me hosting your kids in your own home. And the dog, yeah. All so. right, well, we could, we could change a couple of things. Um, 
But uh, so you're turning my offer down? <laughs> I'm turning your offer down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm. Uh, I'm I will live to I embarrass would, would, myself would, another day. I would uh, like to open up my commitment and um, you know just uh, appreciate the opportunity I've had here at two four seven. Was that in the notes app? It, it will be next time. Uh, last question: What will January look like recruiting wise? Well, it's going to be a lot different than what you're used to. Uh, you know, we've talked about Penn State's close in the last couple of years, and they've been holding on tight at times. And a couple of years ago, you know, they had some guys jump ship at the last minute. Of course, last year Dylan Rivers did as well. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be a little bit slower. I mean, you're going to have 19 scholarships accounted for in a class where you might have four or five more spots in addition to that. So. To have those guys accounted for, it means you don't have to chase them. Um, you know, somebody takes an official visit elsewhere the last weekend of January. You know, you're not scrambling and doing all that kind of stuff. So you can set your focus on guys like, uh, you know, like OA, like yeah, you know, OA and Smith a little bit because they're announcing during that dead period. But guys like Rasheed Walker, guys like Solomon Enos. Um, you can keep going and doing visits with your committed guys, but at the same time, you can put a little bit more focus on the 2019 guys. Terry Smith's up in New England today. Uh, checked out Lewis Sign, um, checked out Tyler Rudolph. I'm sure he'll check out Marquise Wilson. So they've already started moving toward 2019. It, I think it's setting the table for taking a little bit off your plate in 2018 and moving it forward. So I think that's basically what January is going to be like. <laughs> New names. I, I, people keep asking for new names. It's just not going to happen. I mean, the there is no space right now. That's not really going to change whether or not they well, get Parsons or, or whatnot. So, and, and, but the guys that we're talking about, a new name could be Tyler Friday. I mean, it could be a guy that's been on the radar forever. Whereas, you know, you like to see him stretch it out until February. You potentially get an official visit and then go from there. So, I think the new names will be old names. Uh, unfortunately, the guy that we loved last week, Trill Williams, is probably going to sign with the oh, with Trill. Syracuse in December. Yeah, so we're not going to get it. We're going to have we're not going to have a Trill January. But uh, at the same time, I mean, I think it's going to be an, a lot of names that you're used to. Uh, the senior riser, it happens, and it's happened in the last couple of years. But at the same time, it, it's a lot harder to come by, especially with the December signing period, when you you know what you have in place when you enter the new year. Right. And I think when you look at OA specifically, but also a couple of the other candidates, you know, Parsons too, that their biggest selling point is we're gonna, we've are gonna we been here from the beginning. So now to – you could have a variety of different pitches to prospects here, but I think the new names are not going to crop up as much because, again, they're, they're just, you know, entrenched and, and it poured so much investment and will be ready to move if, if you know, they, they don't get uh, as many of these guys to commit as expected. But it's, you know, it's a different situation. Uh, like I – you know, I wouldn't expect many new names. Are people asking about 2018 right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you see somebody go off the board, say somebody, you know, say Tyreek Smith goes to Ohio State. Okay, who's got his spot? Well, I mean, that spot really wasn't there to begin with. I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, Penn State, if you look at it right down the line to get to 85, they would only take 19 or 20 guys right now. That's not what they're doing. So there will be attrition. There will be all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're still tight to begin with. So new names are, you know... And with most of the class signing in December elsewhere, you know, it's going to cut down the list of, of people that can you can potentially bring in for visits in January. So, you know, it, it, it'd be something where, you know, you were pursuing a committed guy, you know, like Trill, say Trill Williams, you know, in any other year, you could try and get him to, to visit on the weekend of January 31st or whatever. And now you're not going to have that. So he's going to be locked up, uh, you know, signing with another school and it's going to limit your pool of potential applicants. So I'm not going to say it's a boring situation, but I think it's just going to be concentrated on a, on a, on a select few guys. All right. 
Well, we didn't have a plan today. Well, we did, we, and then we, we flipped it over. We had a plan to go about 25 minutes, and we've doubled that. Yeah, so. we never uh, take the over. Yeah, I think any a conversation we have about um, time. Anyway, next week, we're going to have a plan. We're going to follow through. We will have a pod out Monday morning, and then on Thursday, after everything goes down, mostly, on December 20th, which is that Wednesday of next week. So we will have two coming to you to make up for this past week, though. Honestly, I kind of enjoyed the, uh, you know, it wasn't free-for-all, but a little Arizona State talk in there, a little hypotheticals down the road, uh, you hosting me on an official visit, which I don't think you should shut down altogether. It's a good thought. Okay. Uh, Christmas is around the corner. I I know. should have you over for dinner. Yeah, you're right. Official. I, this is an official invite to visit. dinner. Yeah. Okay. Dinner and uh, hockey game? Perfect. Perfect. Uh, wife and kids panel? <laughs> Optional. <laughs> Last two weeks they've been sick. I don't think you want that panel right now. <laughs> Get some honest opinions out of them. Uh, but all right, this has been fun. And like I said, we will see you Monday and Thursday next on the Lions 24-7 podcast.